This is Tennessee Talks with United States Congressman Tim Burchett. Hello, I'm Congressman Tim Burchett. Welcome back to Tennessee Talks. As many of you know, Russia invaded some of the Ukraine's uh, territory on February 21st after many years of, of excuse me, many weeks of rising tensions. Um, I believe that my personal opinion, no Americans troops should die fighting Russia in, the, in Ukraine. That's period. Weakness, in, in my opinion, in, Bi- in President Biden's foreign policy has emboldened Putin to, to move on to Ukraine. President Biden should have lifted sanctions on the Nord Stream 2 pipeline. That decision gave Russia leverage over Europe's natural gas market. And Biden's failure to nominate a United States ambassador to, the, to Ukraine in last summer's botched Afghanistan withdrawal also conveyed some of our weaknesses. Hopefully, the Biden administration convinces Putin to back down peacefully, but President Biden's foreign policy track record so far is not very encouraging. And joining me today for today's show is someone with many years of foreign policy experience in Europe, and I'm more than delighted to have him on our show because this is really timely for what's going on. I'm glad to welcome former United States Ambassador to Poland, Victor Ash, to the show. Ambassador, thank you so much for sharing your foreign policy expertise on Tennessee Talks. It's great to have you with us. Um, if you could, please, share with the folks some of the responsibilities of the United States ambassador, just so they know what, what goes on. Well, thank you very much, Congressman. It's uh, good to be back with you. And uh, our, our relationship, friendship goes back uh, many, many years. But uh, I served in Poland as, as President Bush, as ambassador, and a short while under President Obama as well, uh, from 2004 to 2009. Uh, and it was great to be an ambassador in Poland because it's a country that actually likes the United States, just as Great Britain does. And uh, so you weren't have to, to play defense. And uh, uh, we have over 10 million Polish Americans who live uh, in, in in the United States, uh, some of which live in uh, East Tennessee, uh, also Telco Village, but also Knoxville and other places. The um, the role of an ambassador, you're, you're the chief of mission, as they call it, and you represent not just the president of the United States in your role, <clears throat> whatever country you're in, but also you represent the American people. And that includes people who voted for the president, people who voted, voted for a different candidate for president. You represent all the American people. And in my time there, I've welcomed uh, many members of Congress and the Senate and the House of different parties and uh, tried to make sure they had access to all elements of the uh, uh, Polish government uh, it could. The embassy we have in, in Warsaw is a large one. Over 425 uh, people work there, of which about 130 are Americans. The rest are Polish nationals. We also have a consulate in Krakow, which is particularly interesting now and significant. Not only is it the ancient capital of Poland, but also it's in the southern part of Poland and not very, not that far from the Ukrainian border with Poland. Um, it's a small town called Chemish with Zygmunt Brzezinski, uh, who was President Carter's national security advisor, actually was born and raised before his father <coughs> fled Poland to Canada and then obviously the family, and then they moved on to the United States. Our current ambassador to Poland, actually is a very good ambassador, uh, Bart Brzezinski, who is actually the son of Zygmunt Brzezinski. Uh, but in Poland, the Brzezinski name is obviously a well, highly regarded and 
influential name uh, and and one well known about by uh, the people who make important decisions. Uh, Poland, I understand that he's uh, he's considered the second most favorite of, of ambassadors to Poland. <laughs> well, you're not. I, I couldn't guess who the other one is, but uh, anyway, uh, he, he's certainly doing a good job. He's there in a, a very difficult time because. Uh, we've said we already had 3,000 troops in Poland, and it's my understanding we've increased that to 9,000. Uh, I think they're there just in case to be a deterrent to any uh, uh, effort by Belarus or Russia to actually invade Poland. That that hadn't been mentioned, and, and uh, presumably would not happen. Poland is part of NATO, just as uh, Lithuania, Latvia, and Estonia are. And, I think the fact that they've been part of NATO is what has prevented Russia from actually invading the smaller Baltic countries because their population is is no more than two million in each. So, and right. one one country's less than two million. Uh, so compared to Ukraine, which is over forty five million, uh, they're very small. Well, you mentioned you mentioned the Ukraine, so let's let's get right into that. I know they share the border with the Ukraine, Poland did, and um, and why do you think their sovereignty and stability is important to security in Poland and other European countries? I mean, just because of the border, but also, it, it, do you feel like Putin is just wanting to resurrect the the former Soviet Union? Does he have the strength to do it? Well, certainly, I think that is Putin's goal is to recreate the Soviet Union. And Ukraine uh, was part of the Soviet Union. There were 16 socialist republics. And even today, Russia technically is the Russian Federation, which includes other uh, entities. Uh, but the actual republics have, have become independent nations. Now, Belarus is allegedly an independent nation, but obviously Putin has major control over the, 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 the Belarusian president and uh and and he has sent uh, troops. Uh, Putin has also sent troops into some of the into Pakistan, where they had recent revolts. And if the leader has been friendly, um, in Georgia, uh, which is actually the nation where Stalin was born, um, there are actually two so-called independent countries that were taken over by Russian troops. South Ossetia is one. And Abishar, I believe I pronounced the name right, it's on the Black Sea. Uh, neither one of those countries are much are larger than Blunt County. Uh, but, you know, and no one has recognized them as an independent nation except Belarus. I mean, even China has not recognized them as countries. But in other words, as president, what Putin is, done, is doing in Ukraine to what he has done in Georgia. It's not the first time. Um, and in, in Ukraine, of course, he, he took over Crimea, which is where the Yalta conference occurred at the end of the World War II, but also has taken over areas that are not on the Black Sea, but which he yesterday or today recognized as, as two independent nations. Now, why is it important? Uh, partly in terms of the economy. Uh, it's, a, it's a strong agricultural country and produces a the food and products that are sold throughout that part of the world. It also could be the area through which pipeline would flow. Uh, and also, uh, just the size of the country. I mean, 
40 plus million people as large as terms of people it's larger than Poland. Uh, right. And uh, and obviously it's a sovereign independent nation. There's no question about that. It's been that since 1992. And um, it's had democratic elections, and they've been honestly and freely elected. And to, uh, if, if they, uh, while, while I agree that we shouldn't go to war in Ukraine, I think Biden made a mistake in saying he wouldn't. Yeah, uh, uh, you, you're better off not to show your hand, and, right. and and keep the opposition guessing as to what you might do. But but that's uh, you know, there are several, several missteps that I think were made. I, I think, on the other hand, at least in the last couple of days, Biden has done about as well as he could do, given the circumstances, in, in uniting the allies in Europe. So, obviously, we can't do this alone. And, uh, and of course, the European allies, they have France, Germany, Italy, um, uh, Great Britain, the Netherlands, wherever, are all more immediately impacted by this. Uh, than we are. There's there's Atlantic Ocean between us and Europe. Although in today's warfare, if, if, if you had an international war and missiles being used, uh, it wouldn't take 10 minutes for a missile to, to hit the United States from, from uh, Russian territory or the other way around. And right. obviously, uh, and, uh, that is something we all want to avoid. But don't, don't you think that was also the, the hacking of computers and and the disruption of, of all those services could, uh, that, you know, that they, without firing a shot, they could cause us a lot of, a lot of grief, I think, over all this. Well, and there's no question they have, and they've done that in Estonia and, and other areas uh, adjacent to Russia. And I think we should, you know, I assume the people at the CIA and the Defense Department are aware of that or are working on it. At least I'm sure, I mean, you know, if you and I are talking about it on a podcast, goodness, uh, the folks who are paid to do this, deal with this every day, uh, are alert to it, and, and hopefully the best minds in the country are there to try to prevent it from uh, occurring. But uh, certainly it, it could occur, and the issue is how quickly can we respond to it? You know, there's there's two trains of thought, and I've listened to people on all sides do this, Democrats and Republicans fight them in their own party among what's the best result. Where do, how do you get the best results? Do you, do you put the tariffs and do you put the lockdown on their funds before they move or do you wait till after they do? If you do it before they move, then they have nothing to lose. But if you wait till after they lo- they do it, you've gained nothing. So, I, you know, I, I, I don't know. Well, well, you have gained something if you do it afterwards. It, it, you, you haven't prevented what they did, but you send a message as the future incursions, because this certainly wouldn't be the end. I mean, if they take the two areas in, in Ukraine, which are not occupied, but which they claim are theirs, then obviously that represents an expansion of their inroads, a major expansion. And you're talking about four or five million Ukrainians uh, being, in effect, annexed into uh, Russia, where you know, it would be as if uh, Canada decided that uh, North Dakota was really part of the of Canada, and said so they'd occupy. Well, we wouldn't put up with that. They obviously wouldn't happen. But it is, you know, they, they've simply taken an area close. Now there are people of Russian heritage uh, there, but so what? I mean, we're we're a country uh, that has heritage from virtually every, probably every country in the world. 
That's what, the, that's what the United States is made up of, or, or immigrants from one way or another, or Native Americans. Do you, do you think there's any chance of any peaceful resolution at this point, Ambassador? Is it going to be? Well, I think there's always a chance. You can't just say there's not. So what are you going to do? Uh, I mean, uh, you know, our troops are there to withstand an invasion into a free country such as Poland, Hungary, uh, Czech Republic, uh, all the way down to Romania. And uh, who, who knows what uh, uh, Putin will do? And uh, I don't think he's thought through what, what he's doing because not all of those people that are being annexed into Russia favor that. He's going to annex in a large resistance movement uh, that will cause him difficulties all the time and who do not want to be part of Russia. There may be some who do. Uh, and if they did, they probably ought to emigrate to Russia. Sure. I, I saw I saw on the newscast where they had like twelve people out in the street waving Russian flags, and I noticed several of them had stone embroidered Russian insignia on their jackets. And I I wondered if that's some of that false flag type stuff that we were warned that they were going to do with actors and and uh, in their and they just filmed them in their own territories and claimed that that's part of uh, of Ukraine. I don't I don't know, but um, they're pretty crazy. Well, it, 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 it certainly is not beyond them to do that. I mean, uh, whether they have or not, I, I, obviously I don't know. But, uh, <clears throat> you know, I think the next week or so, I mean, here we are doing this on uh, Tuesday, February 22nd. And, if, uh, you know, five days from now, the circumstances may be totally different from what they are today. I mean, we, yes, sir. You know, I, I think it's changing day by day and hour by hour. And, uh, and then also, uh, how will the European community respond? Um, you were right earlier in saying that I think the president uh, aired. I mean, the, the ambassadorship in Ukraine has been vacant from the day he took office. Uh, yep. It was vacant under President Trump for the last year. And uh, no, uh, no one has been nominated. And I, I really don't, I, I, I haven't heard a valid or credible reason as to why that has happened. Yeah. Uh, at, at, at this stage, it's uh, a little late, but. Uh, you know, he might even consider introducing a resolution in the House urging the president to act. Yes, sir. That's, I believe that will be in the works. But the um, I was going to ask you about that. Is that is that unusual for that amount? I know that, um, but it seemed like a hot spot you'd want. It was a an error on President Trump's part, and it's an error on um, on on President Biden's part as well. Not to have somebody there today. I mean, when a conflict heats up, do they? Would they well, an ambassador, ambassador is helpful to have. The ambassador can't stop it, but yeah. he, he is the eyes and ears of the president, is one who presumably can contact our president with any messages or, and is on the ground and on the scene. Uh, in the absence of an ambassador, you have what is called a charge d'affaire, which is a, in effect, the ambassador's deputy. Unfortunately, in Ukraine, we've had a charge now for almost two years. Right. And, uh, and uh, you know, I mean, that does happen, but it, it, it's unfortunate. And it also sends a message to the host country that, that you know, we don't take you as seriously as we might. I mean, why else would you not? I mean, you know, important countries like China, uh, Japan, Great Britain, uh, they all have ambassadors. Yep. 
I was going to say, I, I thought they always this is the others. Yeah, no, no, admittedly, once the to nominate, sometimes our Senate, it takes, can take three or four months to be confirmed. It always takes two months just to, on, on a good case. Uh, right. But, but, uh, and some were held up in, in the past, but uh, that, there are not many pending now. And, and obviously, the Senate's not to blame for holding up an ambassador who's not been appointed. Right. I've, I've heard some people say, that this is uh, this problem is uh, not indicative, but it's um, it's it's repercussions from us not having a a strong um, energy policy, Nord Stream two and the other things going on, and and um, and are becoming more and more reliant. And now we're exporting energy. I mean, we're importing energy instead of exporting, which we did under the prior administration. And um, uh, and I'm wondering, does that how much does that play into this whole thing, Ambassador? Well, I think it, it certainly has an impact. I mean, you can only guess how much it plays into it, but uh, you, you never want to be in a situation where the United States is dependent on another country. I mean, in the old days, we were dependent on Middle Eastern countries, and then we became more independent ourselves with fracking and other means and offshore leases and that sort of thing, which... Uh, uh, gave us more energy uh, supplies. Now um, we may be towing back the other way. We'll just have to deal with it. But we should be as as independent as humanly possible. Okay. Well, is there if any other thoughts you'd add on? No, I mean, we're living in, you know, I, uh, unfortunately, I'm old enough to remember the Cuban Missile Crisis of '61, and we were dramatically close uh, to a nuclear war. But fortunately, President Kennedy and Khrushchev, the Russian leader at the time, uh, through Kennedy's brother, the uh, Soviet ambassador in Washington, were able to calm things down. And basically, they cut a deal where they we, they removed their troops, uh, their troops and missiles from Cuba. And we only removed our missiles from Turkey. I right. mean, that was basically the deal that was cut. It took us about a year before we did it. It didn't occur immediately. I don't know what sort of situation would occur here, but obviously, uh, it, it, it appears from out that Putin is not interested in, in cutting a deal short of just giving him everything he wants. And that, that's not a deal. If you would comment a little bit on, we've sent the vice president over there, and I, I just, uh, that scares me. I mean, you can make all the anecdotes you want about you can't find the southern border. Why she, you know, dictating to another country about uh, obeying somebody else's border? But, but, but the truth is, I, I don't find her diplomatic skills very, very appealing to me. And, and her knowledge is probably about where mine is over there. And um, and so that, that that scares me. Is that is that more of a uh, just um, a face over there, or do you think she's actively doing involved in any negotiating? Or if you can't comment, well, I, uh, well it's not a matter of can't comment. I would if I could. I don't have that information. She obviously holds an important position, like for the United States is important. Yeah. Um, but now how she handles herself at meetings, uh, I've never been in them. I'm, I'm well aware that her statue, uh, shall we say, is still evolving and, and needs help. But uh, she, you know, I wasn't at the meeting conference, and so, um, you know, I, what she said on in their speech, which was certainly adequate, 
but how she is viewed by other delegates and her interactions with others. And she did meet with President Zelensky, um, who has differed with us, and, and, and maybe rightly so, on saying that we, we should have been more supportive earlier on. Um, yeah. But, uh, you know, it's hard to, you know, I mean, she doesn't have the same statue uh, that other vice presidents like Dick Cheney had and, and uh yeah. And 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 George H. W. Bush had for President Reagan, uh, but or even Al Gore had for uh, for Bill Clinton. Sure, uh, sure. And uh, and these are some of whom I agreed with, some of whom I didn't agree with. But uh, yeah, uh, but she's there, and uh, you know, my hope is she she does as well as as possible because you know if she fails, we fail, and right. uh, that leaves aside out what you know. She wouldn't have been my choice for vice president, nor would she be again. But uh, uh, I, I, I don't want to see her fail or, or President Biden fail in this issue because then we fail as a country. Did the, uh, the, the debacle in Afghanistan, of course, none of those things are ever good. But do you think that plays into our, uh, our perception of world leaders of, of where we are as a superpower now? I think the way it was handled was deplorable, and, okay. uh, and it sent a signal that uh, we're not going to be engaged as what as we once were. Um, I don't disagree with the ultimate decision to to withdraw from Afghanistan. We'd already been there twenty years, but there was no exit strategy. There was nothing. I mean, we still have fifty or sixty thousand Afghans there who are at risk of their lives because they may have worked for the U.S. at some point uh, during. Uh, our, our involvement there, yeah. uh, and uh, so the you know and we're dealing with sixty, well, what eighty or ninety thousand new Afghans who may become our newest citizens here in a while, and they may turn out to be wonderful citizens. Uh, some of them are outstanding individuals. Absolutely. But but having said that, uh, uh, I think the way it was handled uh, reflected poorly on President Biden. Yes, all right. That's a lot to chew on, Ambassador. I would want to. Oh, it certainly you. is. Well, Congressman, it's just uh, I'm glad you're on the House Foreign Affairs Committee and dealing with that. And uh, maybe next year you'll be chair of one of the subcommittees. That would be. They, there's a change in the leadership of the House. That's what they. That's what we hear. We'll we'll see. We'll keep our powder dry, as they say. But okay. Thanks again, Ambassador. Uh, good to talk to you. Take yes, care. Right. Bye bye. Yes, sir. Well, folks, it's. We're closing up another episode of Tennessee Talks. I'm Congressman Tim Burchett, and I want to thank y'all so much for joining me uh, for this episode. Look forward to hearing from y'all and seeing y'all again. If we ever get on YouTube, that's our goal. Thank y'all so much. Thanks for listening to this episode of Tennessee Talks. Please subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Keep up with Congressman Burchett by following at Rep Tim Burchett on Twitter and Instagram and at Congressman Tim Burchett on Facebook and YouTube.